this family of churches in, Lord, almost every country in the world and believers, Lord, in uh, Muslim countries, Lord, in African nations, Lord, in Asian uh, con countries, and Lord, in, the, in New Guinea, the Philippines, all, all of these places, Jesus. And this uh, opportunity for us to pray and partner together is powerful. Jesus, you promised to build your church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. Lord, there's something about that scripture in this hour, Lord, to see your kingdom advancing on earth as it is in heaven. And so, Lord, as we process this together, we have busy lives, parents are overwhelmed, working jobs and raising kids and getting them to school and all that stuff. Lord, in the midst of all of who we are, Lord, would you help us carve out time to pray and to seek your face. Lord, I believe you're going to work in us deeply. I believe you're going to move through us powerfully. Lord, I believe you're going to build your church in the day we live. And we thank you for that around the world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Could we all say amen together? Amen. So if you have a Bible, uh, you could turn to the Gospel of John. Um, verse uh, chapter 15, verse 16. I'm going to mention a few verses today, but I really want to focus on one verse. And if the, you could take this one verse home, if you could tuck this one verse in your heart, uh, I, I believe it will change your life like it's changed my life. It's uh, John 15, verse 16. Here was, here's what Jesus says uh, to his disciples the night before he was crucified, and I, I believe it's what he's saying to you and I uh, here this morning. Here's what he says. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Can I read that verse again? And, and could, you, uh, could you look at uh, this verse through the eyes of Jesus' love for his disciples. There's an intimacy in this verse, uh, not just for his disciples, but for you and I who are his disciples in this century. Uh, Jesus is saying this to you. He said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. I've given you authority. I've given you resources. I've given you anointing. You did not choose me, but I chose you and anointed you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last for all eternity. How many believe God is doing something that will last forever in the lives of people he's calling to himself, in the lives of his church around the world? Fruit that will last. I don't know if you've ever wanted your life to have purpose or significance. This prayer underlines where you find that. Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. I don't know about you, but my prayer life, when I'm responding to this invitation that Jesus gives here, there's something in my heart that wants to pray what Jesus wants to do. See, prayer is not about you. 
prayer is about what Jesus wants to do. Jesus wants to do things in your life. Jesus wants to do things in your family. How many could say amen to that? All the parents. Jesus wants to do things in our church and in our community and around the world. And, and learning to pray has to do with discovering God's heart, discovering who God is, and learning to partner with his heart and his plan in this life and for all eternity. And some of us will never see the fruit of our prayers, honestly. Some of us set aside time praying for people to get saved here in our own community as well as around the world. We'll never see that in this life, but we'll see it in heaven because he's appointed you and anointed you to bear fruit that will last. I don't know about you, that turns my crank. <laughs> it does, man, it gets me up in the morning. For me, that's more what my life is about than any, anything else. It's about my time with Jesus and my intercession and, and prayer with him. Well, I, I always have to start a sermon with a story, so I'm going to share a story with you. It's one of my faves uh, about prayer. It, it's told by a woman named uh, Helen Rosevere, and uh, she served as a missionary in the Congo, back in the mid to late 1900s. She was from uh, England, from London. Uh, it was during a time of terrible civil war. And uh, it was a conflict between, of course, British oppression, if you want to call it that, and of course militants that were rising up in the Congo trying to take their, their little region back. Very violent, very brutal. Unfortunately, uh, Helen Rosevere, she was a Brit. And uh, she became a prisoner of the militants. She was brutally beaten, raped many times. It was horrible. She was finally rescued by uh, uh, the British government. She was returned to uh, London uh, uh, to give a chance for healing recovery. What's amazing, after a couple of years, she wanted to go back. She wanted to go back to the people who victimized her and the people who brutalized her. How many are familiar with that prayer from the cross where Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. I know we all have stuff in our life, but I want to tell you, prayer is what brings healing. And, and she prayed. She prayed for those who victimized her, who brutally beat her. She prayed. God brought healing. God brought passion and power from the Holy Spirit. She went back to the Congo. She, she built a, a little hospital in the, in the bush there in the jungle. Uh, there in the Congo, she built a hospital, a medical training center for that region. She had in her heart to bring healing to the people who had been wounded physically and brutalized. She built an orphanage for the children who were parentless now as a result of the Civil War. And God used her courage and her faith to make a powerful difference. There's a book written about her. Uh, the, the title of the book is... is uh, Though lions roar, it's kind of a picture of the book of Daniel. Though the enemy roars to steal our faith or to steal our courage. She had the courage to go back to, uh, to, where, uh, to where she'd been victimized and bring the truth of the gospel to people who truly needed help. Well, she, she tells a story uh, one time. Uh, there was a woman uh, who went into labor prematurely 
and died while giving birth in her little hospital. It was late at night. Uh, left a two-year-old girl crying outside the tent uh, and, and a little premature baby that was very vulnerable. Um, no incubators or no electricity, okay, in this little uh, bush hospital that she had manufactured with some canvas and a couple of volunteers. What they usually did to try to keep babies alive, very cold in the Congo at night, uh, if you look at the latitude across Africa, it's kind of in the middle down toward uh, the lower part. Very cold at night. So what they would do, they would wrap babies in, you know, uh, cotton wool and then lay uh, uh, hot water bottles next to them to keep them warm. And nurses would check them throughout the night. They didn't have enough nurses to hold every baby to keep it warm. So they relied on uh, hot water bottles to try to somehow uh, keep them alive. Well, that particular night, uh, when the nurse left to stoke the fire and, and to fill the water bottle, the water bottle burst. Yeah, apparently rubber doesn't do well in that climate in the Congo. The bottle burst and uh, it made it, uh, well, let's just say it made the chances of this baby surviving almost, you know, virtually impossible. Uh, Helen asked, asked, in fact, it was the last one they had, so Helen asked, uh, the nurse uh, to do the best she could maybe that night sleep by the fire keep the baby warm next morning uh, Helen got up as, as usual uh, that particular day with a lot less sleep than she had hoped for but anyway um, gathered the children from the orphanage around and they sang songs and did a little devotional and Helen mentioned to the kids that uh, a lady had died giving birth the night before left a little two-year-old daughter and uh, this little premature baby, and they didn't have a hot water bottle to keep her warm, and it made her situation very, very uh, risky, and uh, they weren't sure whether or not this little new preemie baby would make it. Uh, well, uh, one of the little girls, her name was Ruth, she, <laughs> she, she prayed boldly, please God, send us a water bottle. Today, it won't do any good tomorrow. She'll be dead. We need one today. Sorry for yelling, but that's what Ruth did. Now, um, there's no Rite Aid, okay? There's no Walmart here in, in the Congo. The idea of getting a water bottle is impossible uh, in, in, the, in the jungle. And um, when, as she was praying, Ruth was just going, oh, no, I hate to crush this little girl's faith. This is not going to happen. She hadn't received a package or a parcel for over a year, and unless someone sent a parcel with a water bottle in it, I mean, that was just totally impossible. And, uh, and then Ruth prayed more, and send a dolly so the little girl will know that Jesus loves her. <laughs> and... Helen couldn't say amen because she just knew it couldn't happen. Well, uh, Helen dismissed the, the children of the orphanage and had a class to teach. So she starts teaching the class. All of a sudden, someone comes running in and said, there's a car at your house and they have a parcel. So um, she, she got there as quickly as she could, but the car had already left. But they, uh, they left a 22-pound parcel there. And um, Helen, you know, in light of Ruth's prayer, 
she was terrified to open it. So she invited the orphanage to come and all the kids to open the parcel. And so they tore into it. And it was pretty boring. It was medical stuff and, you know, material for bandages and school supplies. When they got down toward the bottom, uh, there was a hot water bottle. She couldn't believe it. She hadn't received a parcel for over a year. And she looked on the date on the box. This parcel was five months getting there. And it arrived on the day she needed it. And about that time, a little Ruth said, there's got to be a dolly in there. She dove into the box. <laughs> and sure enough, on the bottom, there's this little African girl doll. For the little girl. She wrote a book about it. If you'd like to read it to your kids. Uh, the title of the book is What's in a Parcel? It's written by uh, Helen uh, Rosevere. She admitted that she had often struggled. There was so much tragedy, so much loss of life. And sometimes she wondered, God, where are you? Where's your love? How can all of this happen? She said from that day forward, she never doubted God's love, God's care and attention to detail in our lives. How many believe that God is an awesome God? Almighty, all-powerful. I know there are times when we pray, we feel like our you know, prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. We don't feel like things are happening the way we'd like them to happen. But I believe our God is an awesome God beyond our imagination. The Bible says in him we live and move and have our being. He knows everything. Our thoughts before we think them, our words before we speak them. He knows everything. He knows every detail. He knows every need before we need it. And he knows what we're praying before, for uh, even before we ask. So, so the question I have to ask, and I want to ask you here this morning, is why don't you pray more? I'm, I'm not trying to be uh, condemning. Uh, I, by the way, anytime I write a sermon, it's always for me, not for anyone else. So why don't I pray more? I mean, why, why don't we pray more? Have you ever wondered that? What's wrong with us? Do we feel inadequate? Do we feel unworthy? Do we not know how much he loves us? I, I don't think we understand how much our prayers and our prayer time means to him. I, I realize you don't think you know how to pray. None of us think we know how to pray. But I don't think we understand how much our prayers and our prayer time means to him. Here's what Jesus said, John 15, verse 16. Sorry, I'm not moving past this verse. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. There's something so intimate and deep in that verse. I've not scratched the surface yet, and I, 
I would probably suggest you probably haven't either in understanding the passion that Jesus has for time with you and for time when you are praying and seeking his face and asking him to do the things that you realize need to be done in your life, in your family's life, uh, and in the world uh, around us. I, I don't know if prayer is still a one-sided conversation for you. Do you know what I mean by that? You know, the one-sided conversation, you know, prayer is kind of a, God, here's my to-do list, then you hit send and say in Jesus' name, you know. That's the one-sided conversation prayer. And I, I realize when you first start walking with the Lord, that's, that's kind of what prayer is. It's kind of that one-sided conversation. God, it's me. I don't know what to pray about. I need help. Send. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know um, what... But if prayer is just a one-sided conversation for you, it's terribly boring. And it's laborious. I mean, it's work to come up with a new to-do list every day. You know what I mean? I mean, who could pray more than five minutes if that's what prayer is for you? And I'm, again, I'm not criticizing anyone. I'm just saying, could we think a little more deeply about what Jesus was inviting the disciples into there and what he's inviting you? You don't have to do this. You don't have to do anything I say or, you know, the church denomination says, you don't have to do this. But I think there is an invitation here that I could and you could and maybe we could discover something deeper than just a one-sided conversation. I, I believe that uh, prayer is a two-sided conversation, just like your marriage is a two-sided conversation. By, by the way, if it's just a one-sided conversation, you're miserable. <laughs> uh, someone say amen. Not loud, but I mean, you know. Okay, marriage is a two-sided conversation. And by the way, so is parenting. Listening is the most important part of any relationship. And loving comes through listening. That's the way we communicate love is is by listening and taking on another person's burden, taking on their hurt, being sympathetic with their weaknesses, being empathetic with them. We need two-sided conversations in marriage. We need two-sided conversations with our children. Could someone say amen? Especially as they get older and they're searching for God in ways that are uncomfortable for some of us uh, who have grown up with super conservative ways of thinking about life and about God and I'll never move from God's word but I'll tell you oftentimes it looks differently in light in the life of people we love than than, than maybe we would like to uh, have it look it's it's challenging it's fearful at times and and it's and it's frustrating and that's why we pray because someone say amen amen Prayer is a two-sided relationship. Psalms 46, verse 10, God says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. There's something about learning to stop, and I know we're busy, but there's something about learning to stop 
and learning to listen. Did you know that God is speaking all the time? He's speaking. Some of us say, I don't hear God, and that is, that's not true. My wife the other day, she, she, she had told me this a few times, I don't hear God like you do. I said, yes, you do. No, I don't. Yes, you do. So she goes to Walmart, and while she's in Walmart, she had the thought, I need to buy coffee, but she didn't buy it. She just came home and got home and go, yeah, I thought I should, but I didn't do it. I said, that was the Holy Spirit. <laughs> he knows I need coffee. <laughs> I've been praying for you, okay? Now, I, I'm being a little facetious, but in reality, some of those thoughts you think are your thoughts are God's thoughts through the power of the Holy Spirit. He's speaking to you all the time. He, he speaks to you when you do your devotion time, doesn't he? Yeah, he, sometimes he speaks to you in church. I mean, not every sermon's a winner, but, you know, you chew the meat and spit out the bones. I mean, you know, you're looking for that nugget, that thing that God said to you. It could be in a song list the worship team does. It can be in a teaching. But you've got to learn to feed yourself because the pastor's not paid to feed you. He's just paid to present the meal, you know. But you've got to eat, you know. You have to... <laughs> I, I'd love a good amen on that because, you know... But it's really true. God's speaking all the time. Devotion time at church. Uh, he, he speaks through a song. You're driving to work. Caleb is on. He speaks through your spouse. He speaks through your children. He speaks through people at work. Learning to listen to God and hear God is, is so important. Understand his heart. Because that verse we read about praying and the Father doing what we ask is as we're hearing what Jesus is saying to us and as we're hearing what Jesus wants to do in our lives and in our world and in the lives of people around us that we love in the workplace or in our family. Jesus is bringing things to the surface all the time. He's speaking things and he's inviting us to partner with him as he accomplishes his will on earth as it is on heaven. Did you know that God doesn't really care about your will? Jesus didn't, didn't teach the disciples to pray, our Father who art in, art in heaven, hallowed be your name. My kingdom come. My will be done. I'm referring to me, not him. <laughs> because we want his kingdom to come, don't we? His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, you know, I, he does love us, and he does care about things we desire and things we want to see accomplished, but, but it really is about him. And it really is about his kingdom and his glory and his honor. And, and so we're just learning to hear his voice together, and we're learning to pray and be led by the Spirit. So powerful and so important. And when you begin to understand how much he loves you and how much he loves that time with you, it motivates me, and hopefully will motivate you to, to make that time and start discovering with the help of the Holy Spirit how, how to pray. Second, second thing, reason why I don't think we pray is we don't understand the power that's released. That feeling of, you know, prayers bouncing off the ceiling. And yet God is powerful and he's working on our behalf. And one of the great pictures for me is Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 12, with Jehoshaphat, who is one of the good kings in Israel's history, three neighboring kings had joined together to come and literally destroy the nation of Israel. Israel was totally outnumbered. They had no uh, chance in their own strength uh, of defeating 
uh, this huge army that had come against them. And so Jehoshaphat called the nation together to pray and to fast. Now, let me talk a little bit about fasting because that word freaks me out. The idea that, you know, I might think about going without a cup of coffee or a meal or something. (laughs) Fasting is is a concept. It's a discipline spiritually in the scripture. Oftentimes we see like Daniel, you know, he fasted and he prayed for an answer and God, of course, sent an answer. Um, it's a spiritual discipline in the early church. It's one of those ways that we learn to, to walk in the spirit, hear the spirit. Can I tell you what I, wanna, what I think about when I think of fasting? I don't think of fasting in terms of what I need to give up. I think of feasting, Okay. Because the reason you fast is to feast on the Lord. I mean, that's really what you're trying to do. I don't do, some, some people fast from dinner one day to, you know, maybe dinner the next day, 24-hour fast. That's great. I hate it. Uh, you know, it doesn't work well for me, my body chemistry. I do a little better if I get up in the morning, eat something healthy, get something going in the motor, and then fast for 24 hours and get up the next day and eat something and go. My sugar levels don't deal with that, eat at night and wait till night to eat very well. That's just me, so that's what I've learned to do. But I'll tell you, there's something about not leaving out food, but seeking God. Feasting on the Lord, that, that, that's what I wanna leave you with. To me, that's whatever the fast is. For some of us, just turn off the TV, that'd be fasting. Just turn that sucker off and spend that time in prayer. Feast on the Lord. Some of you think you know God's will because you watch TV and you hear all these preachers talk and this is what needs to happen and blah, blah, blah. You're not hearing God for yourself. You're not hearing what God is saying to you. You're just reacting to all this barrage of things that are being said about the day we live and missing many times an opportunity to minister to someone in your workplace or, you know, where you get coffee or whatever. There's just a danger that our minds can be flooded and I want to suggest sometimes polluted with things that maybe aren't what God is wanting to teach you for your life and your own walk with him. Isn't it great to point the finger at others rather than take to heart our own personal growth. I don't know, throwing this out, you know, chew the meat, spit out the bones. But I just, I think fasting can be a lot of different ways that we choose to, to put, put away the world or our flesh for a period of time. It doesn't have to be for 21 days. It can be for 21 hours. And, and, and feast on the Lord and seek the Lord. And that's what Jehoshaphat asked the nation of Israel to do. They fasted and they prayed. And then the leaders of the nation came together. Jehoshaphat prayed in front of this uh, uh, group of, of leaders, just reminding God as though he needed to be reminded of promises that he had made to Israel and reminding God of miracles that he had done as though he had forgotten. And, uh, and then he kind of came to the end of himself. And he said, but God, the truth is, we don't know what to do but our eyes are on you. And and about that point in the prayer, all of a sudden, a man who was known to be a prophet among the people stood up and said, don't be afraid. This battle is not yours, but God's. The battle belongs 
to the Lord. Could you say that with me? The battle belongs to the Lord. And uh, they heard it as a word from God. They really believed the Holy Spirit said it. So the next morning when they got up to go out to battle, of course the army's all ready. Jehoshaphat says, wait a minute. Let's do this. If the battle belongs to the Lord, let's send the choir out in front of the army. How many would like to be part of that choir? Okay. So can you imagine the enemies? You know, they're coming out to battle. They got their stuff on, their swords and spears and helmets and shields. And all of a sudden, they see Israel's army coming toward them in the battlefield, and they got the choir out in front. By the way, they're singing the latest hit, Give Thanks to the Lord for His Love. They learned it last Sunday, you know. Give thanks to the Lord for His love endures forever. And uh, they're rocking out. Someone's playing lead, and it's, they're jamming, man. And uh, the power of God defeated all the enemies. It was a powerful moment in uh, Israel's history. They didn't even have to raise a sword. The battle belongs to the Lord. Can we say it together? The battle belongs to the Lord. Some of us would rather worry than worship. Are you hearing me? Some of us would rather worry than worship. We're addicted to the adrenaline of, you know, constantly carrying stuff that you can't fix, nor do you have any power to fix it. How many believe the battle belongs to the Lord? There are so many things that we can't fix. Nothing is impossible for God. Let me read Ephesians 3.20 again. It says, Now unto him who is able to do immeasurably more that we can ask or imagine according to his power that mightily works within us. As usual, I have lots more to say, but I'm going to stop there. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. I would like to say, Maybe another time. Why don't we stand together? I'll invite the worship team. We're, we're going to worship for a minute here before we go. Uh, one of the reasons we don't pray sometimes is, is because it requires honesty and vulnerability. We have to get real with God. We have to come out of the shadows and come into the light. Do you know what I mean by that? You know how shadows lurk sometimes in our soul because we're carnal, we're human beings, and sometimes we want to literally linger in the shadows rather than come into the light. Totally vulnerable, totally transparent before God. And, and, and yet there's something powerful that happens when we do that that brings the healing we need, brings the life we need, fills our soul again with that river of living water. We need to come out of the shadows and into the light. Could someone say amen? He's inviting us to pray this morning. That's, that's my point. Uh, if you take anything home, uh, tell your spouse or your kids or whatever, Jesus has invited us to pray. <laughs> you did not choose me. But I chose you, and I've appointed you to bear fruit, fruit that would last for all eternity, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will do it. That's the message this morning. So, Jesus, thanks for inviting us. Lord, none of us in this room understand why you would. 
why you would place that much value on our life, that you would call us sons and daughters, co-heirs, joint heirs with Jesus Christ for all eternity. Lord, call us out of the shadows into your marvelous light. Lord, thank you for what you're speaking to us. I don't know how each person will respond, but I, I pray for a response. Lord, help us set in motion something today that will make a difference in our life deeply and through our life powerfully for all eternity. We thank you for that. We thank you for hearing our prayers. The reign of darkness now has ended in the kingdom of light, in the kingdom of light. Forever under your dominion, you're the king of my life, you're the king of my life.
have some prayer partners come up, be available, love to pray with you. And my passion and my prayer uh, for the next couple of weeks is to help you see that prayer needs to be the goal of your life. It's the thing that bears fruit that will last for all eternity. If we can keep doing what we do, living our jobs, loving our families, but understand that prayer is what's making a difference and prayer is the power behind what we do. If we can become prayers, people of prayer, who live prayer, who breathe prayer, like the Apostle Paul said, pray without ceasing. What a powerful impact. What a powerful difference it'll make in our lives, our families, our church, our community, and our world. Uh, if that's not what you want to talk about next week, you might want to stay home. But anyway, uh, thanks so much for coming. God bless you. Love you lots. We'll see you next week. Let us pray if we can.